morning. Again, uh, we'll be in chapter 5 of Joshua. The, we'll be finishing up chapter 5. I didn't write down what page it is in the Bible in the front of your pews. But anyway, it's chapter 5, verses 9 through 15. Uh, before we do that, let, let's pray. Father, you, you spoke the world into existence. Lord, you, you speak new life into your children uh, to give us the light of the knowledge of your glory in Christ. Lord, give us the grace to receive your word and give us the grace to rejoice in your word. Lord, convict us of our sins. Lord, forgive us of our sins and remind us of Christ's sufficiency so that sinners would be converted through faith that the weak would be strengthened and the body of Christ would be built up all for your glory. And we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So last week, with the first part of, of chapter five, we, we talked about the Israelites getting prepared spiritually uh, before they begin the conquest of the land. Uh, and the, the first Part of their spiritual preparation involved reinstating circumcision. As was said, circumcision was a physical, as a physical act was to represent the spiritual act of devotion to the Lord. So circumcision was a sign and a seal of the covenant, a covenant that God made with a people chosen by him and a people through whom all people would come to know God, the, the true and the living God. Uh, but there's still more preparation that's needed. So as we close out chapter 5, we'll see that the people are instructed to observe Passover. Uh, we'll see that the provision of manna will cease. And we'll see Joshua encountering a, a seemingly a mysterious individual as, as he looks across the plains uh, to the fortress that's Jericho. So let, let, I'll read the passage. Uh, Joshua 5, verses 9 through 15. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach, reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. And while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, Gilgal they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And after the day, the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he, the man, said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, I mean, 
Wait, I, I, miss, I misspoke here. Take off your worship and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And take off the sandals from your feet for the place we are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Sorry, I mistyped here. So praise God for his word. Um, so as another clue to the significance of the events surrounding the, the Jordan River crossing and the entrance into the promised land, the, the, the Lord declares to Joshua in verse 9 that the events of the wilderness wanderings are now in the past. After the new generation of males have been circumcised at a place called Gilgal, they remain there and God says to Joshua that the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away. And the, world, the word Gilgal actually means wheel or, or rolled. Uh, that's what that word means. So the last 40 years of wandering have been forgiven, but not forgotten. In, in this first part of chapter 5, Joshua contrasts the faith and obedience of this current generation of Israelites who have just entered Canaan with that of the previous a generation which left Egypt 40 years before. And then that generation, as we know, which left Egypt was sentenced to wander in the wilderness of Sinai because they doubted God. That generation grumbled at God's provision of manna in the wilderness. But this generation would eat the bounty of Canaan. That generation grumbled under Moses' leadership while this generation obeyed Joshua's commands. And that generation had circumcision suspended. But the men of this generation willingly submitted to circumcision while camped at Gilgal. So during, during the lifetime of this new generation, Israel was becoming a nation. And the people were trusting in God instead of their own strength to ensure the conquest of Canaan. So this generation wasn't like uh, the one which left Egypt. Although they were raised in the wilderness, this generation believed God's promise and obeyed God's government. So the shame or the reproach of slavery in Egypt, the shame of disobedience and lack of trust in the Lord had been put behind. Again, forgiven, but not forgotten. And the people were to remember especially the deliverance out of Egypt by the hand of God. Therefore, in verse 10, we see that the Passover is once again celebrated. Since, since the first Passover during the rescue from Egypt, Passover has only been celebrated once, and that's at Mount Sinai. Now, with all the males having been uh, circumcised, Passover will be remembered again. As we remember, uh, circumcision was a requirement to participate and Passover. And the people are reminded through Passover of the blood sacrifice of the Lamb that was necessary to cover their sins and allow them to be in a relationship with the Holy God. A blood sacrifice that would one day be offered once for all by our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen. Just as, as John ba the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is a very a special and significant time for the people of Israel. And, and a lot happens in these 
few verses which, which cover two days. Uh, Passover will be celebrated, the manna will cease, and they eat food from the land, food from the promised land uh, for the first time. And with, with this first Passover uh, in the new land, Israel can simultaneously look back at what God had done on their behalf while also looking forward to what God will do on their behalf. As mentioned before, our, our participation in the Lord's Supper is simultaneously a memorial of what God has done for us in, in the death and resurrection of Jesus and an anticipation or, or looking forward uh, to the day of Jesus' return. So we look back at what God has already done for us and with confidence and hope, we look forward to that day when Jesus returns and all things will be made new. Bill uh, alluded to that uh, earlier. So immediately following Passover on the 14th day of the month, again in verse 10, is the week-long feast of the unleavened bread. So three things related to food happen here. Uh, one, the people celebrate the feast of the unleavened bread, uh, which, uh, as we know, recalled their hasty departure out of Egypt and which didn't allow for time uh, for regular bread to be baked and which, uh, you know, obviously required waiting for the yeast to do its thing. Uh, number two, for the first time, the people ate the produce of the land, uh, the promised land. It's mentioned three times here to show how significant that is. Uh, produce of the land is mentioned twice, and, and fruit of the land of Canaan is mentioned. And then as verse 12 states, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So we need to um, realize that the, the fact that the manna ceased is not a sign of God's displeasure uh, or, or something for which the people need to be concerned. It's just that God's going to provide in a different way. The, the produce of the land might not be miraculous uh, in nature like the manna from heaven, but it's still very much God's provision. I know uh, many of us have uh, awesome testimonies of, of, of the Lord miraculously providing for us in, in times of need. And we love to share these testimonies and, and they're encouraging to us uh, to hear how God provided in that way. But you know, what about breakfast this morning? You know, keeping with the, uh, the food theme. I, I suspect for most of us, uh, breakfast this morning was, was fairly routine. Uh, there was nothing miraculous about our breakfast this morning. You know, maybe the fact that you didn't burn your toast was, was miraculous or something. But, but it, it was still God's provision. Amen? The, the breakfast we ate this morning was still God's provision. So the, the Israelites will have their manna cease, but now they're in the land flowing with milk and honey, a land rich in resources. That's why they call it the promised land. Uh, today, God is still calling men and women into this promised land, but it's not in Canaan. It's in the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's in God's own kingdom. And He only asks that we repent, that, that we turn away and forsake our sins and to put our trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And of course, this is infinitely better than any 
uh, land flowing with milk and honey on earth. For, for Jesus offers eternal life for all who believe in him, but promises the wrath of God uh, for those who disbelieve. So for us, there are only two options. You know, respond to the call of, of faith in Jesus Christ or wait for eternal separation uh, and punishment from God. There's no other options. And we need to realize that when we, um, when we witness to people, there are no other options. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, so much has happened in the few days since the people crossed the, the Jordan River and into the Promised Land. You know, again, they set up a memorial so that they might teach future uh, generations about what God did on their behalf. Uh, the, the covenant was renewed through circumcision. Uh, Passover was celebrated again, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then, uh, encouraged by God's provision through the produce of the land, uh, the manna ceases. And all these are intended to prepare the people spiritually, preparing their hearts and minds before uh, physically possessing the land. The people are to prepare because the battles ahead weren't just between armies and, and warriors. The battles ahead will be mostly in their own hearts and in their own minds as the people fight their own rebellious hearts and strive to trust in God and trust in God alone. Uh, which brings us to verses uh, 13 through 15 and the uh, curious meeting with the so-called commander of the Lord's army. Again, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, the commander said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So most likely this incident occurs uh, during those uh, few days when the men of Israel were healing after the uh, mass circumcision at Gilgal. Uh, Joshua doesn't give much detail uh, about the, the circumstances of, of how this meeting with the stranger came about, but it seems that it occurred at a time when Joshua left the camp, uh, probably uh, to scout uh, the route from Gilgal to Jericho, uh, which is uh, only a few miles away. Uh, the, the, the passage simply says that Joshua was by Jericho uh, when this meeting took place. Uh, so it wouldn't be surprising if, if Joshua were you know, somewhat taken aback by the sight of this mysterious stranger with a drawn sword. Uh, the way uh, this account is written here uh, brings to mind Jacob's uh, famous encounter uh, with the mysterious figure at Pamil in Genesis 32, where we read that Jacob wrestled 
with this, you know, quote-unquote man until daybreak, uh, which ended with Jacob's hip out of joint. And there are also echoes uh, here in Joshua 5 from the account of Exodus 3, when Moses encountered the burning bush. You know, what did the, uh, the voice from the burning bush say to Moses? You know, take off your sandals from your feet, for where you're, the place you're standing is holy. Uh, but in, in these two earlier incidents, the, the two men don't willingly comply. Uh, Jacob wrestles with the messenger uh, while Moses argues with the one speaking to him from the bush. But Joshua doesn't do this. Uh, at, at no point does Joshua doubt God's plan or purposes. Uh, he willingly obeys, you know, unlike Moses and Jacob who are, are more reluctant. And unlike Moses and Jacob, uh, Joshua willingly accepts the role that he's going to play in, in the upcoming events. He's, he's approaching Jericho probably in anticipation of a, a great victory. Joshua believes God's promise just as much now as he did uh, when he was sent by Moses to scout the land of Canaan uh, nearly 40 years before. So this mysterious uh, figure is probably pretty menacing, especially because he held a drawn sword. And uh, again, this, uh, this uh, dramatic imagery, you know, a mysterious figure with a drawn sword appeared earlier in Exodus. Exodus uh, 23, uh, verses 20 through 23, God himself promised to Moses that an angel uh, would lead Israel into the promised land. This is, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. That's the promised land. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So it's possible that Joshua remembered these words, uh, which would explain his willingness uh, to obey this man's instructions. But it seems clear now, uh, to us anyway, that this man was God himself. But Joshua doesn't seem to figure this out right away uh, because he asks the man, uh, uh, are you for us or for our adversaries? And, and you know, by the way, you have to give Joshua a lot of credit here. The guy is standing before him with a drawn sword. And what does Joshua do? He walks right up to him and ask him the question. I mean, that took a lot of courage. I mean, it, it seems that at this point that Joshua knows that this man isn't one of his soldiers, right? But he also knows that the man isn't one of the enemy soldiers, or else he wouldn't have asked the question. He's, he's, he just wants to know who this dude is. So notice that the commander doesn't say, well, duh, I'm on your side. He doesn't say, I'm on your side, even though the Israelites were fulfilling the will of God uh, with the invasion of Canaan. He, ju he just says no, or in some Bible versions says neither. And uh, the, 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 the commander doesn't claim to be on the side of the Canaanites either. So there's a lesson here for us. You know, even though we might profess to serve the Lord, we can't take it for granted that we're always on his side. We're always on the right side. You know, only 
as we profess or possess in our hearts the faith that we profess and, and seek to do the will of God, uh, can we count on Him uh, to fight for us? I mean, even believers uh, can presume that God is on their side on, on any particular issue uh, without first uh, seeking Him and His will. Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, has uh, some famous words that are instructive for us here. Uh, Lincoln has said to a minister uh, he was speaking to, uh, the minister had hoped that God was on the Union side. And uh, Lincoln said, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For I know the Lord is always on the side of the right. And then Lincoln added, but God is my witness that it is my constant anxiety and prayer that both myself and this nation should be on the Lord's side. And that's the attitude that we need to have. So when Joshua heard the man's response, no or neither, and the man identifies himself finally as commander of the army of the Lord, what does he do? He falls down and worships the man and calls him my Lord. So we're, we're clued into the fact that, one of the identif- uh, that the one identified as the commander of the Lord's army isn't just an angel because Joshua worships him and he's not rebuked for it. Uh, the Bible's not afraid to condemn people for worshiping uh, creaturely angels or angels created by God. So this being in Joshua 5 uh, must be none other than God himself. It's the same angel that spoke to Moses that we read earlier in, in Exodus 23, uh, where uh, the, the voice says, Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Those are instructions that only God can justifiably give because God's name is in him. In other words, the angel is God. In fact, many claim that these appearances are the pre-incarnate Christ. And further proof of this is what the commander says next to Joshua, which is exactly what God said to Moses at the burning bush. He says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Again, only God could justifiably say that. The place is holy only because God is present there. And again, uh, we can uh, look to Joshua's response to the Lord as an instructive for us. You know, shouldn't we respond to the Lord in the same way? In worship and submission. Joshua, he, he got the picture pretty quickly after that. He had probably been uh, thinking of strategy for the coming conquest. Uh, maybe he was even thinking that this was his war. Uh, he might have uh, felt the weight of the responsibility on his shoulders. This was his war. He was the leader of the Israelites. Uh, but after being confronted by this uh, divine commander, God, he, he was perhaps reminded of, of the truth he had heard Moses declare many years earlier when they both stood at the edge of the Red Sea. It was there that Joshua heard Moses say, the Lord will fight for you. 
and you only have to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. And later, uh, David had the same, he heard the same truth uh, and declared it when he said, when he was about to face Goliath, what did he say? The battle is the Lord's. It wasn't David's. It wasn't his army. It was the Lord's. But that's not all. You know, listen again to Joshua's question. He says, what message does my, does my Lord have for His servant? In other words, I am at your service, Lord. What would you have me do? I am at your service, Lord. What would you have me do? And we can I remember Paul's response on the Damascus Road when he, when he realized it was the glorified Lord who was speaking to him. Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? From the New King James Version. Lord, Paul said, what do you want me to do? And we can receive uh, much uh, comfort and encouragement from Joshua's encounter with the Lord knowing that we never have to bear our burdens alone or, or face our enemies alone. The, the encounter encouraged and reminded Joshua that the battles ahead and the conquests of Canaan were really God's conflict and not his. And we'll see this played out uh, many times over the next uh, few chapters. So what, what's our part? Well, we're soldiers too in God's army. We're His servants who, who soldier on, you know, equipped and, and supplied uh, with the full armor of God as, as Ephesians 6 reminds us. You know, the full armor of God is the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, footwear or sandals, readiness for the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and of course, prayer. That's uh, all those things incorporate the full armor of God, not the incomplete armor of God, but the full armor of God. So, dressed in this armor daily, in God's armor, we're prepared for any task that the Lord would have us do. And we're prepared for any trial that the Lord would have us face. And with the close of chapter 5, we see the truth of Christ's preeminence and His Lordship. Christ is the head of the church. He is the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. And the passage reminds us that God isn't present to fight our battles or help in our causes or, or to jump to our rescue every time we get into trouble as if He were you know, some kind of um, superhero or, or a genie in the bottle. The passage remind, reminds us that the battle is God's and that our role is to be the soldier or servant. We're here to serve Him and to do His will and to follow Him and depend on Him completely. So this, this passage reminds us that our first response to any task or any trial should be to worship the Lord, pray, and seek His guidance, and humbly ask, I am your servant, Lord. What would you have me do? And when we look over the battles or tasks that face us, you know, maybe, maybe we look up, might we see the commander 
of the army of the Lord and then remove our sandals and worship. Amen? Amen. Praise God.